welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning to everybody who's joining us online as well. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a special morning so far. There's uh, three things in life that are guaranteed. Great Sunday morning worship. Actually, four. Uh, taxes. Playoff failure by a certain NHL team. The Ottawa Senators. Just to be safe, knowing my audience. Yeah. And, uh, and, and fantastic worship in your life, so that's great. But I want to talk about death, though, for the next little bit. Um, my, my aunt passed away recently. Uh, my mom's sister, uh, who lives in Grenada, uh, it's a Caribbean island, uh, passed away recently, passed away about a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, and uh, lived a full life, lived a full life, and um, her brother, so my mom's brother as well, um, he's a doctor in Grenada. So he went uh, as a doctor to verify that his sister was dead. And um, yeah, I'm hearing that too. It's a little bit loud there, eh? We okay? So, so yeah, so she... He, he went to verify, and I can't even imagine what that would be like, I mean, as a sibling, to go and have to uh, verify whether or not your, your, other, your sibling, your, your sister has passed away. But he did that, and we do that all over the world, right? So it's a process that happens so that the medical official can declare the individual dead, so that there could be a certificate of death, right? I'm not sure if you knew that, but all of you will get the certificate. Uh, it's a certificate of death so that Legally, the world knows, can acknowledge that you no longer exist, that your carbon footprint on the earth is over. And um, it's a pretty stark idea, right? It's this kind of declaration that happens. Now, there's also a certificate of death that you already have, and uh, it's located in the Bible. And you're like, okay, that's great, that's encouraging. Keep going, Robin. Well, uh, I'll let you know <laughs> where it's found. Um, but before we find out where it's found, you have to understand this, that there is a mystical phenomenon at play surrounding the certificate of death. And this mystical phenomenon that I'm going to share with you today, it, it could be the key to you experiencing freedom, a newfound, renewed freedom and how you handle and deal with sin. It'll give you renewed freedom. I, I promise you, it'll, it'll open things up to you. It'll, it'll, it'll make you look at, at this event in the Bible in a different way. This certificate of death declares that you are no longer under the control of sin. This certificate of death declares that you no longer are mastered by sin. You are no longer controlled by it, but you have been set 
free from the power of sin. Is sin still in your body, still alive and well? Is it, is it still tempting? Yes, but you are no longer under its power. You have now been transferred. There's been a transfer of ownership. There has been a declaration saying that you are now under a new mastery, a new control. We understand this in this way, that when Jesus died, you died with him, right? So Galatians 2.20 talks about how Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. But here's the mystical part. Here's the phenomenon that I want you to get with me right now. The Bible also says this, that as well as Jesus died, he was buried. And you were buried with him. How encouraging is that? Like, that's my greatest fear, being buried alive, quite honestly. Right? How does that happen? How does this mystical thing happen? Well, it, it, it's, it's something that we can't put into words, something that science cannot define. It's something that is so hard for us to discern with the gray matter between our ears. It's just something that the Bible said. And so I want to declare to you this moment that if you cannot take this step with me, to receive the truth I'm going to tell you right now, that you will miss out on an opportunity of experiencing freedom. Because let me tell you, this is a step of faith to understand this, that when Jesus physically died and he was physically buried, you also spiritually died with him and your spirit was buried with him. Romans chapter 6. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, guys. Romans chapter 6, 1 to 4 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Je Christ Jesus? We're also baptized into his death. Now verse 4 here is very important. Let's pick up on this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? So what then is this big deal? Like, why does it even matter that we were buried with Jesus? Well, all four Gospels mention it. They mention it in detail. All four of them. And, and they mention it in, in, in a very detailed description for, this, for a very specific point that we're going to look at as well. Paul mentions it in Romans. He mentions it in Corinthians as well. He says that this is part of the gospel, that he died and was buried and was raised. So again, what's the big deal with him being buried? Well, this is it. Jesus' tomb was a certificate of death because you can only entomb someone who is dead. Jesus' burial confirms that his, he had a physical death. Therefore, the Bible says that as he died, we died with him. So the part of us that was connected to sin, that was under the control of sin, is no longer here. It is gone. It is gone, gone. And it is not coming back. But it's a death to sin, to the mastery of sin over our lives. This is an important truth because this is where we sometimes mess up, right? It's an important truth because sometimes we still even though we've been set free, even though there was a physical death, a, uh, sorry, a spiritual death for us, we could still feel as though we are still under the power of sin. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. 
you can still feel like you're under its mastery. So it's important for us to remember that this has happened, and that's why the tomb, that's why Jesus' burial is important for us to remember that we can never go back to being under the power of sin. It is over. That existence has ended. There has been a declaration, and the certificate of death is the tomb. So this morning, we're going to look at four verses. Everyone say amen to that. <laughs> Only four verses. Four, maybe four or five verses, okay? They're in the Gospel of John. We're going to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. Okay, I think it's five. Five? Yeah. So we're going, to, we're going to turn there, and we're going to look at a description of Jesus' burial. And I believe, again, that, that it will enlarge your eyes of faith to the hope to which we have been purchased into, that in the same way, as Paul says in Romans 6, in the same way that Jesus died and was buried, your spirit that died with Jesus and was buried with Jesus can no longer come back. And the essence of a human being is their spirit. Therefore, there had to be a replacement do you understand? There had to be a replacement. There had to be a new spirit given, and that's what we received. When Jesus was raised to life, we were raised to life with him, with a new spirit that was no longer under the control of sin, but it is now alive to God and controlled by the Spirit of God. Let's pray and jump into Romans, uh, sorry, John chapter 19, verse 38 to 40. So Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the words that were in the, worship, uh, that were in the songs that were sung today. All that relates very well. I know you have a plan, releasing it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So let's look at John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission so he came and took away his body. Let's keep going, guys. So I want to go to, uh, let's go to verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So here we have a very broad description. Matter of fact, if you look at every description of the burial of Jesus in the Gospels or in Scripture, you'll notice that they're, they're full of description. It's for a very particular reason. And one part of it that you'll notice in this one is that this phrase was repeated three times. They took away his body. Why is John mentioning this? It's because even at this time that John was writing this Gospel, there were people who were refuting, as they do now, that Jesus didn't die. Right? People are saying, oh, there was a resurrection. Oh, there was no resurrection. He never died. And then there are also people saying that, oh, no, no, the disciples took his body. So the disciples took his body, and so that's why there's no, that's why there's no one in the tomb. He never went into a tomb. He was removed. Right? So, so your faith is not real. There is no resurrection. So John's going through all this detail to say, no, 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 look. He even exclaims in the verses before that they pierced his side to check if he was dead, and they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. He's making an apologetic, 
uh, proclamation to people who have been pushing against the truth of the gospel. So he's trying to convince them that, no, this happened. So Joseph of Arimathea, we saw that, and Nicodemus are two men who are part of the Sanhedrin. So these are guys who have a lot of authority. They have a lot of authority in Israel, in, in Judah, in Jerusalem. And so it's very important that these guys are mentioned and not the disciples in a sense. These guys have wealth, and these guys have power and influence, and they are the ones who took Jesus, and they put him away. It's also very important that it's these guys too, because if you didn't have wealth at that time, what you had to do with a dead body is that you had to throw it in the Valley of Hinnom. And so there was just a general death pit where you just dropped a body. I know it's exciting, honey, I know, but <laughs> it's really exciting. And then there was a general death pit where you just threw a body. Does anyone remember the movie um, Amadeus? I saw the movie Amadeus like years ago in, in um, I was in band, so we watched Amadeus in, in class in high school. Um, and it's a beautiful movie, but it's a haunting movie because the movie is the story of Mozart and how Mozart is obviously this brilliant mind. He's so creative, he's, he's, he's so powerful musically, but he squanders all of his wealth doing this crazy requiem. This is kind of how they describe it in the film. And what happens is, is that he dies penniless. He has no money. He dies penniless. And at the end of the film, they show Mozart wrapped in linens and throwing him in a pit. Mozart. Just a nameless pit. Not our Jesus. God had a very distinct plan to prove something to the disciples of the day, to, to verify the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and also to confirm to us our death, our spiritual death with Jesus, our spiritual burial with Jesus, and also our new life. Another thing about this tomb, it's very important, is that this, was a, this tomb was sealed, and it was sealed in a very specific way. Matthew chapter 27 talks about this. It talks about how there's even two Roman soldiers Two Roman soldiers are supposed to guard this tomb that Jesus goes in. And it's in, the tomb is like a, it's like a big kind of cavern like this. It goes like this, kind of sloped. And what you would do is that you would roll a stone over the tomb. Now, in order to roll the stone, there would be a channel. And the channel itself was sloped like this. So you're taking the stone, you're rolling it, and then it would just drop and it would drop and then seal like this. Why did they build it that way? Because it's almost impossible to roll it back out, right? Because it was sloped in and sloped out the other side. So for a, for a, for a person to come in and do that, it's almost impossible. So look at all the ways that God had provided for this to confirm that Jesus' burial did happen. Look at all the description. It was sealed. It was a heavy stone. There was Roman soldiers. It is not the Valley of Hinnom where anyone could have came along and just taken the body. It was a sealed tomb, and they put him in the sealed tomb, and only a wealthy person could have a tomb like that. That's why Joseph of Arimathea built this tomb for himself. And he put our beloved Jesus in it. And it's sealed. 
Look at all the intention that God did there. I, I had a surprise birthday, I think when I was about 21. I was, was, I was helping out in the youth group and, and um, a, a bunch of friends, and even my youth pastor was kind of part of, it, part of it. He took me out for lunch, and we had lunch, and we're chatting, and I came back to the church. We were supposed to work on something, and I came back to the church, and I opened the door to, to one of the rooms, and all the students were in there, and they went, surprise! And I was so full of shame, I just closed the door. I was like, I was terrified. <laughs> I, I just couldn't handle that affection. But then people told me the story of all the detail that went into that surprise. And it lifted my shame because I realized how loved I was because of all that detail. I'm never asking for a surprise again. I do not like surprise birthdays. Please don't do that. Okay, just a regular birthday. Only celebrate me when I know about it, okay? Um, But look at all that detail that was put in. Look at all the detail that God put into just Jesus being buried, and it's in all four Gospels. And all four Gospels have additional details to make out this one giant description of how important it was that Jesus was buried, that it was evident that he actually died. He wasn't taken. That when he died the death that he died, he died as sin itself 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it's not going to be up there, but it talks about how Jesus himself became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He died to sin, and then spiritually, we died as well with him. So why is your death to sin so important? It's because of this. You know, Loki and uh, anyone who likes Marvel movies, uh, Loki, one of the villains in Marvel movies, he he makes this proclamation. He's this, he's this alien. He thinks he's a god and all this different stuff. So he comes to humans and he says, you were meant to be ruled. And, and obviously the whole story behind that is, well, no, we're not meant to be ruled. We're strong enough in our own power and we'll fight you. And that's kind of the whole thing, right? That's kind of agenda they have against this guy. But the guys who wrote that, they're on to something because they know something that's actually true about humanity or they know something that's actually Jesus made very true in the Gospels. He said this in the Gospels. He said, you can't, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and mammon. You will either love one or hate the other. Right? What is Jesus saying by that? He's saying, you will be mastered by something. You as a human being, I know you feel independent. I know you feel like you're in control of your destiny. I know that you feel because you have a wallet and you have money in your wallet or money in your bank account that you, you are your own God. But it's not true. Jesus says that you will be mastered by something. You will either be mastered by God or sin. And it's true because that's how we were made. We were made to be dependent on God. When God created Adam in the garden, he put the dust of the ground together and he breathed his life into it. And then he became a living being. In other words, humanity is what they are because God breathed life into it. So we were created to be dependent on God. When Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he made a declaration. He said, I will believe the lie that I could be my own God and make decisions for my own destiny myself, that I have enough knowledge to handle the knowledge of good and evil. But was that true? No, because what happened? When he sinned, another spiritual entity came into Adam personification of sin itself, living inside of his bones, in his DNA, in his molecular structure. Sin, the noun, came to live inside of him. And instead of him being controlled, dependent, mastered by the loving kindness of God, it was now replaced 
by sin. And the wages of sin is death. It's all sin wants for you. So each and every one of us were born on this earth with a spirit, but that spirit was disconnected from God. And so sin came in and said, I will be your master. And we all experienced it. We've all felt it. We've all known it. You can only have one master. It'll be either God or sin. And so each of us were born with that dysfunction. But praise be to God that when we made the choice to choose to believe in Jesus, we said, Lord Jesus, I choose to believe in you. I choose to follow you. And so your spirit, when that moment happened, I don't, it's so mystical. I'm not sure if you felt it. Did you feel it when you prayed the prayer? I don't know. Some of you are like, oh, it's three. I kind of felt it. No, you didn't. Right? It's just something mystical that happened, something that the Bible says, that something that we declare by faith, we believe in it, there's a truth that something that happens inside of each and every one of us. So the spirit that you had that was connected and mastered by sin, that spirit died. Did sin die? No. But you became dead to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, you died to sin. The part of you that was mastered by sin is dead. That died on the cross, and that was buried, and it's no longer coming back. Everyone say, gone, gone. gone. It is no longer coming back. If you feel mastered by sin, sin is pulling the wool over your eyes. You are not mastered by sin if you've chosen to, tr to trust in Jesus. You now have a spirit, a new spirit, that is connected to God. That is the beauty of the gospel, that you now have a new spirit that wants to do good. You aspire to do good. You want to please your heavenly Father. And you are no longer under the control of sin. And here's the thing about, I want to go to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. How are we doing for time? Okay, keep going. All right, the wages of sin is death. And you all know this verse. But the gift of God is eternal life, right? We've all heard this before. Now, I read this recently in the commentary, and this will blow your mind. Okay, you ready with me? Okay. Lenski says this. R.C.H. Lenski says this. He says, wages. Where do you get wages from, right? What is he talking about when he says wages? That's like pay, right? Like a payroll. So Paul is using sin to describe it as an employer-employee relationship. So you have jobs, you have a boss, or maybe you're the boss, or, or, or you're, paying, you're paying yourself through that. But he's describing an employee-employee relationship. So the wages, of, the wages are death. So then who is the employer? Sin, right? So when you are mastered by sin, when sin is your employer, you're going to reap death. You're going to experience death. Obviously, you're saying, well, not physical death, but you can experience what it is to be separated from God and not experience the life of God, the divine life that is inside of you, not to not experience peace, but to experience deep um, uh, uh, despair and turmoil in your souls. So... If sin is your employer and the wages of, of sin is death, what happens when God instead becomes your master? This is what happened in the gospel. What happens? Well, the rest of the verse says it. Romans, 6, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this. 
right? But the gift of God is your eternal life. So am I saying God is your employer? Well, I don't think that's what Paul's actually saying there because Paul doesn't say, well, the wages, you know, of God is eternal life. He says the gift of God. Does God need you as an employee? No, God doesn't need you to serve him. What happened in that transaction when you chose to follow him and your spirit died, and your old spirit died, and your old spirit was buried, and you received a new spirit? What happened? You became adopted as sons and daughters. And so he doesn't give you wages. He gifts you with eternal life. He gives you life and peace. Romans chapter 8 talks about there's a spirit that is set that spirit, uh, sorry, the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. That's what we experience from him. And when sin is your master, sin rules you with fear. Some harsh taskmaster manipulating you and leading you towards death. I'll give you an example of that. And obviously I have to use myself because that would only be right, right? I really, um, I'm one of those guys, I, I come across really, um, easy going, don't I? But I'm not. Actually, I'm, I'm, su- I'm a super anxious person. No, and you're laughing, but it's true. No, like, I'm a super anxious person. Like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm very much task-oriented. I'm, I'm one of those guys. Anyone here who's kind of task-oriented, right, where you feel good about yourself when you get a lot of stuff done, right? So there's always two contrasts to that. Like, I'm a very task-oriented person, and somebody else might also be that, but they might respond to their tasks in a different way than I do. So when I have a lot of tasks, sometimes what I feel or what sin does or manipulates, manipulates me to do is to run away from those tasks because it tempts me with the fear of failure. So I begin to fear, okay, if I don't get all these tasks done and if I don't do them well and if I don't do them perfectly, then I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be worth anything. People are going to see me as worthless, and then my life will be over, whatever. But it's just this crazy lie that sin makes, has made me believe for years, that only when I came to the truth of the gospel, of what happened when I co-died and co- was co-buried with Christ, that I realized I was no longer under that submission, that that lie wasn't true. But instead now, I'm no longer under this master of sin who rules me with fear, the fear of failure. The antithesis of fear is what? It's not courage, it's love. Sin ruled you with a hard hand. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, this is going to happen to you. You're going to reap consequences from it. And that can give you all kinds of stress. It can keep you up at night can make you worried and anxious and and full of despair. It can make you afraid of failure and you're running away from your tasks. Instead, when I come into this, and listen, guys, I do this every day. I had to do it this morning. I had to step into this and say, you know what? I'm not under that anymore. That's not who I am. Instead, I am mastered by the love of God. My spirit is a new spirit that is connected to God. And what does God speak over me? He doesn't speak fear. He speaks affirmation. He says, you are my child. He says, you are united with me. You are worth my death. How much value can a person be to be worth the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? So what happens next? 
I say, you know what? I, don't, I, have, a ton, I have a ton of tasks. I'm bringing you into my world here. I know it's scary. <laughs> I have a ton of tasks. And I'm like, man, I am feeling afraid. So I think to myself, okay, I'm, I'm not going to run away from it because that's the old me. But the new me knows that God loves me. So I say to the Lord, what tasks do I do next? Sometimes God tells me, oh, whichever one you choose, just do it. And I'm like, okay, you know, just maybe just trust you that I have a new heart and I could be, I could, I could be led by that spirit and, and go in that direction. Sometimes he says, no, I want you to do this in particular. And I said, I go and do that. And then what happens? Sometimes I just feel led to go in that direction. I start working on a task. I get one task done. Hey, I feel a little bit good about myself. And I'm like, okay, well, I feel good about myself. I'll go do another task. Oh, I feel a little good about myself. I'll go off and do another task. Listen, I'm describing something to you that is so personal, but I'm hoping and you're understanding that this happens to a lot of us, that sin has one point, and it's to bring you to a point of death where you are experiencing death. You're experiencing turmoil and despair and anxiety. And you might feel like you're being mastered by sin because you're having anxious thoughts, because you are, are nervous about the future, because you can't beat an addiction. But you are not mastered by sin. Instead, what does Romans chapter 6, verse 11 say? It says, consider yourself dead to sin. You are not its master anymore. But instead, consider yourself alive to God. Think on that. Remember that. Seek him. Seek his affirmation and his courage and his love. And he will empower you. We're almost finished here. So let's read Roman, uh, John chapter 19, verses 40 to 42. Okay? So I guess I'm going to read 40 again. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb... Oh, yep, there you go. Since, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. Um, I think we missed a... Did we miss one? Was it 41? Can I see... Did we read 41? Okay. Um, there's a very important detail in 41 that I want to point out to you just as we close. You'll notice that they buried him in a garden. Can we go back to 41? They buried him in a garden that was close to the place of crucifixion. And they buried him in a tomb there. And his garden can also be translated as the word orchard. And Jesus was crucified on a cross. Biblical, not even just biblical scholars, the Bible over and over again illustrates the cross as a tree. And they buried the second Adam there. Listen, the Apostle John knows what he's doing. You'll notice it over and over again if you're reading it, that he has a very, very close affiliation with the book of Genesis. He understands those stories very well. And he is making a topology here that a lot of commentators would agree with, that he is trying to point anybody who's reading this, their attention back to the Garden of Eden. He was laid in a garden near a tomb, a typology of the Garden of Eve, the Garden of Eden, sorry. And he was hung on a tree. And the, when the Bible says that, that, the Pentateuch says that whoever is hung on a tree is cursed. Jesus was cursed on our behalf. And where the first Adam 
cursed us all. The second Adam was cursed on our behalf to set us free. Look at the humility of Jesus. He was buried in a garden. He was hung on a tree. He was buried in a garden. And what the first Adam did in cursing all of humanity, the second Adam in his humility defied that curse and broke that curse on our behalf. And not only that, we died with him. So that whoever wants this freedom, this freedom of experience away from the mastery of sin to being mastered by the loving kindness of God, whoever wants that can have it. John 3, 16, verse 17 says this, For God so loved the world that, who, that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Son did not come to judge the world, but he came to save the world through. This is the blessing of what we've received. And Jesus' lowest point, his lowest absolute point, burying his body in a grave, became our highest point, where we became free from the bondage and the mastery of sin. So the rest of Romans says this. Um, Romans chapter 11 and verse 12 talks about this, and I think I'm going to read it to you guys quickly as we close. For the death he died to sin, this is Jesus once for all, but, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let not, therefore, so let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What the first Adam did is not more powerful than what the second Adam did. What Jesus accomplished was far more powerful. We may not feel like we're out set free from the mastery of sin. We might still feel it because sin is still part of our bodies. It's still part of our skin and bone, our sinew. It's still kind of in the mix. But we don't have to run away with its temptations. And then Paul gives a very descriptive way of how we don't do that. He says, instead, present your bodies. So you have a spirit. Spirit animates your bodies. Instead, you present your body as an instrument of righteousness rather than an instrument of unrighteousness. So even getting back to my story about, you know, tasks, the fear of failure. Yeah, I have a choice. I have a choice. I could behave as though I'm still under the mastery of sin. I could pretend I'm still under the mastery of sin. And that is of no advantage to me. It's of no advantage to my family. It's no advantage to you guys as new life. It's of no advantage to anybody. It's only death. I have the choice, but instead, I need to remember that I'm no longer under the mastery of sin. I'm under the mastery of the loving kindness of my Heavenly Father, and the gift that He gives to me is eternal life. And if I live here, I am now can present myself, this body, this flesh and blood, as an instrument of righteousness. My brother-in-law is a very good guitar player, 
and he has a guitar that I covet. I'm sinning again. Okay? He has a guitar that I covet. It's a Fender tele uh, Telecaster, and it's really awesome. And I've seen him play it, and I've heard him play it. And then once I was like, oh, can I borrow it? He's like, yeah, and I played it too. And I was like, oh, I don't sound as good as you. <laughs> and it's true, because he's just better at the instrument. And guitar is just one of those instruments too, where your style and, your, um, and just how you learn things or how you hear music really impacts how it's played. So he just has this talent that, that I just don't actually have, or at least if I had more practice, I might be there. And so he can make this instrument that I love sound good. It's a beautiful instrument, but when I get behind and I start playing it, it's not the same. You have the opportunity to present this body that you've been given, a beautiful instrument. Don't despise your bodies. Don't despise your bodies. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us for the time that we have, for the limited time that we have to bless others. This instrument, God wants to play it. God wants to get under your skin, through the power of the Spirit, connected with your spirit, with the new spirit that you have, to animate your body for good, for righteousness, to be an instrument of righteousness, rather than an instrument of unrighteousness. And there's so much good yet to be done. I'm going to say that again. There's so much good yet to be done because I didn't plan it in advance. You didn't plan it in advance. You are not the master of your own destiny. God says that I plan good things for you to do in advance. Ephesians 2, uh, Jesus chapter 2, verse 10 says this. I plan good things in advance for you to do. So there's lots of good to be done. Let's not waste the moment, but instead come out from the mastery of sin. Stop pretending you're still under that because it's dead and buried, not coming back. Instead, be who you are. You have a new spirit connected to God, a resurrected spirit. If the spirit, if the spirit that was connected to sin was died and buried with God in this mystical event, then it can't come back. That means that you had to receive a new one, and you did. So assume your position. Assume and accept your adoption as children of God and allow him to empower you as an instrument of righteousness today. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and, uh, and you're just doing a good work. So I'm just so thankful to be part of that. And uh, we're in a good place right now uh, to celebrate the new covenant and to celebrate being uh, children of God together. We are so blessed. And so I pray that we would sense that now as we fellowship. Pray you'd be part of our fellowship. I pray you use those instruments of righteousness even as we fellowship and talk to each other. Bring things to the surface that we need to talk about. Um, enlighten our hearts to things that someone else might be going through that we can encourage them and talk to them about it. And maybe today, maybe today is the day where you do a miraculous work in through someone's life through us. So we just allow you to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. 
Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.